Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24 will be our uh, sermon text for this morning. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Now you may be seated. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us grace as we lean into your word and seek to understand it and apply it. May the words spoken here, Lord, may this sermon preached be a herald of your gospel message and may it touch our hearts. May it move us to action. May we come to your feast. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Here we have part two of a dinner party that Jesus is attending on his way to Jerusalem. Remember from last week, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And while he does, he is eating and drinking his way there, knowing what is at the end. But, but he's not feasting all of these occasions just because you know, that's a joyful thing to do. It is. But he's feasting because what is more fitting for someone who is ushering in the kingdom of God than to feast, than to invite people to fellowship and to fullness and nourishment at a table. And so Jesus wants to show us something about the kingdom of God by talking about table etiquette and dining around the table. You'll remember also from, ver- from chapter 14 at the beginning that Jesus is at a certain dinner party at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And at this party, the Pharisees are watching him closely hoping he's going to trip up, hoping they can catch him in something. And Jesus is 
taking this dinner and is showing us that so much about this, this party is the wrong way to feast. So much about what the Pharisees are doing, what the leaders are doing as they feast around, around the table is actually giving us a negative example And so he has to correct so much to guide us to the proper way to eat and drink in the kingdom of God. At this point, when we reach this famous parable, Jesus has offended just about everyone at the table. This is is a really awkward meal, if you think about it. He's offended the Pharisees because he pointed out their pride in, in not wanting... Um, them not wanting him to heal a man on the Sabbath day. And then he offended the guests because he turned around and said, hey, by the way, guests, why are you all competing for the seats of honor? Why don't you humble yourself when you come to God's table? And then he turns around and he offends the host. Hey, host, look at all these people. Look at all these guests you've invited. They're the wrong kind of people. You've invited the people that can, can give you something back in return. Who you should invite are the crippled, the blind, the lame, the, those who can give you nothing in return. And so what is all this pointing at? What did we see last week? We saw that the proper way to dine at God's table is through humility. Lowering ourselves. And it's at this point that a voice calls out from the table, a a man who probably was feeling the awkwardness of this all. And you know what it's like when when, when the table gets quiet and awkward. Someone just wants to say something uh, to put, put the nerves at rest. And he goes, blessed is everyone who will eat and drink in the kingdom of God. And you, you can almost hear the amens, hear, hear, going around the table. You know, it's this feel-good statement. There's something that rings true to it. But Jesus digs in deeper because he is not letting them get away with anything at this table. This table that is a picture of God's kingdom feast. And here's what, here's what Jesus shows us in his answer to this statement. That yes, you're all invited to God's gracious banquet. But are you going to come? You're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but will you be there? That's the question that rings from this text. And it starts, it's unfolded through this parable, a parable of a grand feast. Jesus gives us a parable about a great banquet. He says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. You can almost picture this impressive occasion, this feast. You can picture the candlelight flickering in the warm banquet hall, the music lofting through the air. You can almost hear it. The the tables are decked with bowls of fruit and fresh bread. You can smell the the medley of that five-course meal wafting from the kitchen, cooked to perfection. And all that's left is a chef who's, who's waiting to whisk those plates onto the table at a moment's notice. And right at the heart of this magnificent meal, this feast that's been prepared to perfection is the host. The orchestrator of it all, he's been pulling this together 
for months and he's spared no expense. He paid for all of this with great personal cost out of his own wallet. He sent out the invitations. He received the RSVPs. And now the feast is ready. It is time. And now the only thing left to do is ring the dinner bell to send out his servant to summon all these guests who have already said, yes, thank you for the invite. We'll be at your table. And so that's exactly what he does. He sends his servant into the night to get the party started. Now let's just pause there because we need to reflect on this picture that Jesus keeps giving us over and over and over again of this great feast, which we know is more than just a feast. It is a picture of what God has prepared in his kingdom. This feast is the marriage supper of the Lamb, a picture of what Christianity is like. Think about that for a second. Have you ever thought when when you're trying to explain to someone what Christianity is like, you know, what it's like to be a Christian? What, What answers would you give them? Would you go to this one? Christianity is like a feast, like a feast that's been prepared in extravagance, prepared for us by God himself. This is the picture that Jesus wants us to see in this great, grand feast that Christianity, the kingdom of God, is personal. It is exciting. It is satisfying. It is a picture that you remember has been presented to to us as early as the Old Testament. The whole Bible giving us this picture You could see the entire Old Testament as God's save the date that he sent out for this wedding feast. Over and over again, what were the prophets doing as they called the people of God to come, to repent, to turn to the Lord? They were were calling the people to RSVP for this gracious feast that was prepared and paid for by their God. Listen to Isaiah 25. Isaiah says this, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And then again in Isaiah 55, what do we hear this morning? Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is the picture of a great feast prepared by God. So we hear again of this feast, even in Psalm 23, that that beloved passage. The Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of his enemies. Our cup overflows. There it is over and over and over again. This call to prepare yourselves for the Lord's feast. All of this leading right up to the coming of Christ in the New Testament, where where the people are just waiting for God to announce that second invitation. The feast is ready, and that's exactly what Jesus does. What does our Savior do? He, He paid the way for that costly feast with his own 
ministry, which, with his life, his death, his resurrection. And then Jesus, throughout the course of his ministry and through his apostles, he gave that great announcement. The kingdom of God has finally arrived. The feast is finally ready. You're all invited. Come now. Now that's what we call the free offer of the gospel. And it's right here in the scriptures. It comes to you even this morning. That Christ has given you in his word and engraved a personal invitation to come to that feast. It is personally addressed to you. That feast is designed for your nourishment, for your fellowship. And the the only question that's left is this. Will you come? Will you come to that feast announced in the Old Testament, prepared for by Christ himself, now ready for you? Well, we hear that note of excitement and anticipation in the parable. But as soon as we've heard it, we also hear that note of rejection. That is tragic and that is shocking. The servant comes back to the host. He, he, he uh, rushes into that banquet hall, but he's alone. And the host says, where are my guests? Well, I went to them. I went to all of them. And they all said they'd come to the feast, but, but now they're all too busy. None of them can make it. Three excuses represent these guests who won't come. We hear them one after another. And when we hear them at first, all of them kind of sound credible, right? There's, there's something uh, actually important about each of these affairs that, the, that these guests are concerned with. So first of all, you've got the concern about property. And then you've got the concern about employment and concerns about family. You could sum these up like this. The excuses have to do with where we live, how we make a living, and who we live with. These are those crucial affairs of day-to-day life. But when we lean in and look closer at these excuses, none of them hold up. In fact, they are lame, lame excuses. The first guy says this, I've purchased a field and I've got to go look it over. I've got to feel the soil in my hands. Know what I'm working with. Please excuse me. I'm sorry I can't make it. You mean this guy can't wait one day to go check out his field and and inspect the soil? The field isn't going anywhere between that time and the banquet. This is a lame, lame excuse to not come to a feast personally prepared for you. The second guy says, I've bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm on my way to examine them. Need to make sure they can pull their weight, do their job, so I can make a living. Please excuse me. And again, something fishy is here. Because it's, it's actually quite shocking that this guy would purchase, make this huge purchase of oxen before inspecting them himself. So something already is fishy. But then you have to ask the question again. You mean you can't wait one day to, to inspect these oxen? You can't, you can't wait until after you come to a feast personally 
designed for you. This is a lame excuse, and so is the third one. In fact, the third one is quite rude. It's, it's terse. The guy says, I just married a wife. You get the picture. I'm, I'm not going to be attending the feast. Deuteronomy 24, if you, you were to look through that chapter, it does excuse a man from service in the army for a year after he's been married so he can care for his wife and focus on, on the details of that relationship. But the text says nothing about that excusing someone from social contracts. You have to wonder, why couldn't this guy bring his bride with him? Another lame excuse. In fact, he doesn't even ask to be excused. And so it rings with rudeness and it reaches this host. And here's what we see in these excuses. Here's what each of them shows. That none of these guys really, truly want to come to that feast. When it comes down to it, there are priorities that just outweigh the feast. There are concerns that are heavy on their minds. And Jesus is, what he's doing in in this part of the parable is he's exposing the hearts of those religious leaders in his day. He's talking to all those guys sitting around the table with him. Yes, the the very guys who are listening to him tell this parable. Because these Pharisees, these religious experts in Jesus' day, they acted like they wanted the kingdom. They made a profession out of preparing people for God's banquet. You know, get ready. Follow these rituals. You'll be ready. Come to the banquet. Clean yourself up. But in the end, here's the irony. They didn't even want to go there that much. Otherwise, they would have come running through the narrow gate of faith in Christ into the warmth of God's banquet hall. But as it was, these Pharisees sat on the outside, keeping a distance from Jesus, in fact, despising him. And what are they doing instead? They are preoccupied with their worldly endeavors. And they're full of presumption that they will be at that feast in the end. You can almost hear it in that that initial statement that's made by the the man to calm down the awkward mood. Blessed are all who eat and drink in the kingdom of God. What's he saying? I'll be there. I'll be there, Jesus. You can count on that. We'll be there. What Jesus is doing more than exposing the hearts of the religious leaders of his day, he's also putting his finger on something that happens today over and over again. We know this. People talk about heaven. People talk about being part of God's kingdom. But then, why is it that in the end they reject that invitation? That they refuse to come to Christ? What is it that keeps people from coming to the banquet? And we know that worldly distractions become a priority over the kingdom of God. I know I've committed to reading my Bible and spending time with with the Lord, but I finally saved up enough to go buy a new car. I'm going to go focus on that now. I would come to church, but but this project at work, it's the chance of a lifetime. It's the chance to, to, to move into a new position. 
I know that time with God is important, but this girlfriend, this boyfriend, they have just swept me off my feet. And so you can, you can picture the kind of excuses that are given in our day, even excuses maybe that form in our own hearts. Excuses that at first are tied to good things. One theologian tells us this. He says this, this pithy phrase, good goods make bad gods. See what he's saying? Good goods, those things, those things that, um, that we delight in, relationships, our career, our work, our homes, those are good things. But taken to a place that is a priority, priority over the kingdom of God, they become idols that make awful gods that leave us starving and empty outside of the banquet hall when they take over our lives. And this is the problem. The Pharisees, people in our day, maybe sometimes we find ourselves, they'd rather nibble on breadcrumbs than come to the banquet. So what does the master of the banquet do when he hears these rejections, these excuses? Does he cancel the feast? Does he postpone the party until these important folks can, can finally make their appearance? No. He does something that is genius, but that is just so much to take in. He sends out more invitations. And what we're, what we're seeing here is, is really a glimpse of the heart of the host of this feast. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Who are these people? They are the outcast of Jewish society. They are those who would never be invited to a Pharisee's feast. And yet they are the guest of honor now at the king's feast. Imagine the crippled come limping to their new place at the table in this warm banquet hall. The blind are carried into this hall on, on, on the back of the, the host himself. The cold, the tired, the homeless, they find warmth and fellowship and love at the master's table. And the feast still isn't full by the end of that. So the master says this, feast has got to be full. It's got to have all these seats occupied. And so go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. What we see here is a picture of the advancement of the gospel that really is, is almost a description of the book of Acts itself. Luke, Luke part two. What do we have? First, the gospel comes to those elites in Jerusalem. And then when, when many reject it and, and only a few believe, what happens next? The gospel then goes to the outcasts in Judea, in Samaria. And still there's room. Still the gospel advances to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, to those on the highways and the hedges and the byways, all those Roman roads This is a picture of the advancement of the gospel. And I want you to see, this is what's so exciting. This 
is a picture of what is happening right now in our church plan. You want a picture, an image of what our church plan is all about, what we're doing? We're welcoming people to a feast. A feast prepared carefully for them. What are we doing when we talk with our Muslim friends about Jesus? We're compelling them, not by force, but we're compelling them with, with, with the words of Scripture. Listen, come to this feast. This really is for you. This isn't too good to believe. The gospel is for you. And what are we doing when we invite our friends and family members to the church? We're, we're persuading them. There is a feast that can satisfy you. No, I'm not kidding. The master really wants you there. Second Corinthians 5 says this, We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's that picture of ambassadors going out for the master to gather people to the feast. Another text that just gives us this crystal clear picture of what we're doing as a church plant, inviting people to the feast. Psalm 34 says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, you see that that's what we're doing. That's what we're called to do. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. His feast really is for you. His feast is wonderful. And there is a place at the table for you. Blessed are all who take refuge in that. That feast. And so now, brothers and sisters, is the age of welcome. The time to welcome people to God's feast. And we're part of that. But don't miss this. That this comforting news is also news that we need to hear ourselves. We are the crippled, the lame, and the blind that God welcomes to his feast. We're the broken sinners who Jesus carries on his own shoulders into the banquet hall of heaven. We're the misfits who hear the master's call. And because of that, now we're fit ambassadors to call the nations to do the same thing, to limp their way into the, the banquet hall enabled by Christ Jesus. So you see, the comfort of this text, even the midst of, of rejection. But, but don't miss the final warning in this passage in verse 24. A warning that comes alongside of that comfort to bring this all into proper balance. Verse 24, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. You know, this last line is like a bomb that is dropped on the dinner table. It's like Jesus, you know, almost, you know, throwing a rotten fish right into the middle of, of the table. Because it's, it's that shocking. Because look at what he does. He gets personal. You, you could, he, he switches from the parable to speak directly to the people sitting around him at the table. It's confrontational. But it's also merciful. Because Jesus is saying, you need to hear this wake-up call. You need to hear this clear warning. Don't fool yourselves, Pharisees. 
You can save the date to God's heavenly banquet, but that means nothing if you don't actually come to the feast through faith in me. And that's what comes to us this morning, this warning that it is possible, brothers and sisters, to talk about the kingdom all the time, to teach people about the kingdom, to RSVP for the kingdom. You know, yeah, Lord, I, I hope to be there. It sounds great. I'd love to, to, to be there with my loved ones. But then to miss the, ta- the table entirely because we do not come to the table with faith in Christ. Here's the question, the urgent question, relentless question that Jesus keeps putting before us. Are you going to be at the banquet? You've been invited, but are you going to come? Do you really want the eternal feast? Or are you more satisfied with the, with the priorities of this life? Because there's only one way to come to the banquet, and you must come by faith to the host. You notice that at the very end of the passage? What does Jesus say? He says, this is my banquet. Here he is at this feast with the Pharisees. He's been invited by hosts, but Jesus is saying, no, I'm the host. I'm the host of this dinner party, and I'm the host of the great marriage supper of the Lamb. You must believe, friends, in Christ. He spread the feast with love. He paid for every expense with the great cost of his life. And he calls you sinners, even now, to join him at his table. The only question, will you come? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be assured that's the way to his table. Let's, let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we've heard the warning of this text and we've also seen the great mercy and the kindness with which you have reminded us that we have been invited as, as guests. And Lord, we do pray that we would be assured this morning that by turning to you, by believing in you, by resting upon you, that we know that we have not only been invited, but that we will sit at that table. And while we anticipate that and and feast even now on the nourishment that comes from Christ, we pray that you would prepare us even more for the glories of that marriage supper of the Lamb and enable us to be ambassadors who bring more and more into the fullness of your house. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen.